what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Today's episode of the show is brought to you by Einswick Dog Quip, who's our good friend Jason Furman. That's E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K, Dog Quip. Jason is the importer of HF Mills, Herm Springer, and can pretty much get you anything dog-related that you need. All we've your got training stuff from equipment. Jason, haven't we? Yeah, we've got every, I got all my stuff from Jason. Mm, yeah, I've got plenty of stuff from Jason too. We use his slip leads here at work. Uh, yeah, I use his slip leads all the time. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yep. Jason can get you Bramerweb. He can even, um, they get the personalized logos, all that stuff. Oh, I've got one saying, so Randy. So Randy. Yeah. You know what we do at the PSA trials is we give away leashes instead of in, as prizes with your name and position and score and everything. In That's Boston right, we Leash. do. Mm. Jason provides those. He does. He's such a good sponsor. <laughs> in line with being an all-around good guy and sponsor of the show, Einswick Dog Quip have provided us with one Durofoam ball, one treat pouch, three tugs, and two-handled tug thing. I'll put up pictures of this. Mm. So anyway, that's a giveaway. And we've decided the way we're going to give that away is there's a bit of a process. You have to buy one of our T-shirts and the first person- Only one? Well, at least one. At least one. The first person who can send us a photo of them- with a celebrity, and we'll decide whether it's a celebrity or not, <laughs> yeah. is going to win all this cool dog training stuff from Einswick Dog Quip. So that's it. If you need any dog training equipment, talk to Jason at Einswick Dog Quip. Chances are he can get it for you. Good on Jace. Thanks for supporting the show. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. My name's Glenn Cook and joined in the studio is my all-time co-host, Pat Stewart. All-time? All-time. How you doing? Like my life partner. Except the one time that I wasn't here for. (laughs) Yeah, when Neville took your place. Neville stood in for me. When Gerard O'Shea was here Mm -hmm. and we fucked up the sound. Yeah. Yeah, that was disappointing. Because I'm not here to. But run it was a good interview. I really enjoyed it. It was a really good one, actually. Mm. That yeah, was Jared's a- very interesting. I've got to have him back on the show one day. Mm. Well, we have to have him back on the show. <laughs> not, not I. Oh, I'll, I'll make an excuse to not be here. <laughs> that would be awkward, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So last week we did the question and answer time, and which we're really grateful for because obviously people are listening to the show because they're asking questions. Asking questions. They're coming back to us and saying, "Got some thoughts on this? What do you reckon? And can we talk about it as a community?" Which has been great. And we want to encourage more of that. So if you have good questions for the show in the future, as we love doing our origin stories and talking to really interesting people, we also want to come back. This is a show for the people in the dog community. So we do want to acknowledge that. We do want to talk about those type of things. So we've got some really good questions we want to continue, which is why we did a part one and part two. Mm-hmm. The next question that Pat's got is going to be quite a big one. So Buckle yeah. your seatbelts and get ready for a ride. So we finished working down the list of questions people asked mm. at Juliet Fisher, who said, how do we stop the e-collar ban in Australia as a community? I've got the perfect answer for this one. Just tell them to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I had to lead with that. <laughs> no, actually, I don't think that would work. No, unfortunately, no. <laughs> well, it's already creeping in Australia. E. collars are banned in, in New South Wales. They are. They have been for a long time. Yeah. Restricted use in Victoria. I'm not I believe sure. that I believe the original ban was headed by somebody to do with Kelpies. That's what I read. Someone lobbied the government that was involved in stock dogs. I could be wrong. I'm not sure, but it's been in effect for quite some time. There was a lady in Brisbane that was leading some very, very strong campaign quite some time ago to try and abolish the use of prong collars and or remote trainers and mm-hmm. everything like that. My thoughts on this. Somebody said a while ago, and I think it was Chad Macken who came on the show and said one of the good things about the positive-only crowd was that it kept the balance crowd honest, like mm-hmm. the thugs in the balance crowd, it kept them honest. And I thought about that for quite some time. I thought, well, that's actually a really good response, and it's very true because it has made people more accountable to stop well, to police and keep an eye on some of the thuggery that's going on in the industry because there are some real peanuts in this industry that no matter how hard we try, they'll always be the people that the media cameras switch on to. Like yeah. we've said before, if you look for ugly, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. It's a common thing that people do. If they're looking for something to make their statement, they'll go and find that image on Google search. They'll go and find that idiot in the street who will happily stand in front of a camera and say all the things that the agency wants to report on at the time. And these are the things that we've got to be mindful and we've got to be careful about. However, My philosophy, and I guess it's a shared philosophy amongst many people, is we really need to stop all this talk about banning. We need to to continue talks about education. What I would like to see is a good body of people, an elected body of people that represent us well, that encourage education campaigns Mm -hmm. to basically say not everybody can have them. People who are educated, done qualification, you can have them. But you need to do proper qualifications. It's the same thing with firearms in Australia. We have quite extensive legislation that says you can have a firearm, but you've just got to go through quite a extensive program to keep them. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to have saves to lock them away and you've got to be quite responsible. So I don't mind that. I actually don't mind that. I think we should do the same thing with, with training tools. We should say there are suitable bodies that can provide adequate training for you and you'll need to do courses with them. Otherwise, forget about it. Mm. I think I agree with all of that, definitely. Mm. Education is the key and showing people how to use those things correctly. But I think to really get to her question, which is how do we stop the e-collar ban in Australia as a community, I've had an idea on this since I came into dogs and I feel like the balance training or Lima or whatever group we belong to, right, people who will use all four quadrants of operant conditioning. Yep. We need a champion. Mm. See, these battles have played out in the media and whoever puts forward the most compelling case, now that doesn't, I don't say accurate and I don't say truthful, I say compelling, mm. is going to win. Yep. And this is what's happening throughout the world is, say, take Victoria Stilwell for an example. She's a media darling for the positive crowd. That's right. Mm. But- but she's a she's a plant. She's a creation. She's not a dog trainer. Mm. She was created. She's a character that fronts a body. So we need one of those. We need a person that is our public face. And what we need is a, a highly educated, highly mm. skilled person to do that. 
This is why I have such reverence for Dr. Jordan Peterson, because he's one of those people who isn't afraid to stand up and tell it how it is in an educated way without losing his temper and without insulting people. In fact, he gets insulted a lot in interviews and sits back and rather than gets bitter and twisted by it, he turns around and he says, well, now that you're done insulting me, let's talk about some of the facts around Mm -hmm. this. And that's the type of person that we need to. We need somebody who's going to make the time to get to the interviews and be well aware that they're going to be on fire all the time uh, and under fire. Well, that's right. So this is, like I said, I've had this idea for a long time. I've told many people about it. I would love... Maybe now that we have a little bit of a platform, someone could come up with a plan of how to do this. But the balanced training community, see, like I say, you got to fight fire with fire. Mm. And Victoria Stilwell, who is the big voice in the banning of these tools and the nonsense force-free movement, not the good, like there's people who do it great. And she's a manufactured character. And we need to manufacture our own character and do a better job of it. Because here's the thing, right? Say somehow if I was appointed that person, I'm not the person. I'm not relatable. I'm uh, 12 years in special forces. That immediately gives people a picture of me, Mm. right? What we need, and this is my dream, and I I don't know how to begin this. If I did, I would (coughs) nominate a way to do this, is we need a person who, first of all, and I hate to upset people, but they need to be good looking because they need to be on TV. So they need to be a soft appearing person. It needs to be a woman too. It needs to be a woman. Because uh, unfortunately, look, it does, but I mean, without trying to sound funny, without bringing any humor or insult into it, people like us are now looked at as privileged white males. Yeah, and, and that's disappointing. That's well, but, really disappointing. But we don't even need really... to approach it from that angle. The thing is, as well, you look at me. Say, just take me for one example, right? I'm a over six foot guy telling you that it's okay to cause pain to your dogs. That's not the picture that you want to give. Now it is, mm. and I, I can explain to you all the reasons why, and I can show you eloquently and all of that. But the image is not good, and so what you need is a softer person that tells you that that's okay Mm. and shows you with all the same ways. Now, if we had a body in Australia and the IACP is this body in America, and I know that I stands for international and hopefully that they get some more traction here and maybe that we need to get together, choose a person. It would have to be a volunteer because as you say, it's going to be a huge weight on this person's shoulders and Mm. it's going to be a stressful job, but we can't just throw them in the deep end there needs to be a significant period of training and mm. they need to travel around and they need to travel. There needs like, to be a knowledge bank of yeah. people that are supplying education facts, yeah. real figures. And a lot of people who don't necessarily get along day to day need to come together in order to train and educate a champion. We need to have a person that we all give the maximum of our knowledge to to get them ready and they need to be coached and trained in presentation and media and delivery as well as having all the real knowledge on how to use these tools, how they work and the the application and and the use of finesse in all of those things. Mm. And that's probably a two, three year venture to train someone to that point and then we go, okay, well now we can fight fire with fire. Here we have our media darling who we've all put in the work in. So, you know, to name... Well, I won't even name any names, but the big players in Australia who from all over this country really would then, who may not get along for whatever reason, blah, 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 need to go, okay, I'll take candidate X for three months. They come under my wing and I teach them this. And then they go to the next person. Okay. 
my specialty is this and we go to this and this and this and they travel around. The issue is, and the reason, you know, the pessimist in me says this will never work is because through the victory of that person getting these things through, because it will work. I'm confident it would work. Mm. They will become rich and they'll become famous. And, and that will fuck with people's egos. Yeah, and nobody wants to give away everything that they have mm. in order to promote someone else and, and really cause the success of someone else. But that, unfortunately, that's, it's gonna, they're going to have to do it. That's the only way I see. And look, well, this it's is one the of those world things of the greater Pat. good, isn't it? Yeah, this is the thing. This is the world according to Pat. But I think that would work if we had a champion that went forward, did all these meetings, all these presentations was all over the media saying, look, this is okay and here's how and why and I'm a good presenter and I can explain it to you and you're not afraid of me and there's no, mm. there's no skeletons you're going to pull out of the closet on me. Because we, there's people who can do these sorts of things. There's people in Australia that do a good job in the media, but we don't want the surface scratched on them because you find out things that you don't want found out, right? And like I say, there's people who, like myself, I'm not a relatable person. I have a lot of the knowledge that I feel like I could do a good job in these things. Not all of it. I have Mm. a lot. But like I say, if someone could come to me and I would give them everything that I can and then they go to someone else and they give them all they can, you need to know the legislation. I'm not good at the legislation. But having someone that's trained by all these people, now we put them forward and they represent us all. They will become rich. They will become famous. And we all just have to go, geez, that's good that that happened along the way because now I it can still- for us. Yeah, happen for us. For the greater us. good. Yeah, and now yeah. I can still perform my regular duties. I can still carry, I can still keep it up. Because most of the people who are like vocal on this sort of thing, on the use of prong collars, e-collars, most of them are ex-police or military type trainers, right? And it's not relatable because people, it's easy then to just go, oh, well, like that's the police, let the police have that. And mm. then that doesn't, as we've talked about in other episodes, it's no good only the police having e-collars or the military having e-collars because then dogs can't be prepared for them and the average user can't end up using these things. We just need to get over the line where people come to understand it in a way that they can digest. Oh, yep, these tools are not for horrific use. There is a good way to do it. And then the implementation of that will follow. I think that's a brilliant start. And I agree with everything you've said. The only thing that I would add to it is I think we need to be, it needs to be an international movement. It has to be. Because otherwise we're put a spot fire out here and then it'll be in another country. Yeah, that's right. And then we'll be putting a spot fire out there. I think it needs to be ongoing research. I can't see it being successful unless there's going to be a proper world movement on it where people are going, you know what, this is enough. I'm sick of sitting back and having everything taken away without anybody even fighting for my rights anymore, without speaking any truth because they're afraid of being labelled as something. And this is in the last 10 years of our lives, it's more about people being afraid of being labelled something People I've known through my life who would actively speak out when they saw injustice won't do it anymore. Mm. They're actually afraid to do it. And I I think to myself, I can't believe that you as an active spokesperson would be afraid. Like you'd sit back and and take it on the chin and not speak up for your rights anymore. And they'll say to you, yeah, but man, I'm, I'm just tired of being beaten down by these people like they're crazy. You know, they don't stop. They gain momentum and they just keep going. Yeah. And they just run through you all the time. I just, I don't want to have that sort of hectic life. So you're right, Pat. I totally agree. I think the person that does do this, regardless of the outcome for them, which would most likely be a a good one, is that we do have to stand behind that. We do have to appreciate that if that person is taking that type of heat, they're prepared to be in that situation. They need the full support and they need 
they need us to give them every ounce of backup that they can possibly get. Yeah. And so I feel like, I mean, what we're talking about really is just a lobbyist, that a it person that, lobbyist, that puts yeah. that forward. And so they would need to be paid by a body because it would be a more than full-time job. This and is a need- GoFundMe thing. Yeah, well, I know surely there's an organisation that, that it can do this. Like I, this, what the IACP can provide, is this something that they can do? I would happily pay, I would, you know, whatever the membership fee is, like I would happily kick in money and what I can to pay a salary to someone whose job is to do that. And the thing is, say like, say Tyler, for example, he's a president and has done an awesome job getting banned over terms and writing letters and that sort of thing. But he's got a real job as well. He has to feed his kids. He has to yeah, maintain a family, got, right? It's, it's like all of us. We've, we've yeah. got full-time so, positions that we have to maintain. So maybe it is Tyler, who knows, but he should be, if it were him, then there needs to be, you're not the president of the ICP, you're the front man. Yep. And here's, the, here's the, the package, the salary that goes along with that. And you're an employee of that company. Mm. And then there's a board that backs and, and, pushes all these things and the education like like I say that person needs to it's a bit of a dream because of how altruistic they would need to be to, in the start like it's a real step up like this is a professional gig it, yeah. it needs it needs a and the a ba- skill a level house. Yeah, yeah the skill level that's skill level thing. would have to be huge yeah. it and needs a back of house where people are uh, like the movement is real yeah people are researching people are coming up with science fact like people yeah. are debunking well and there's a argument. lot of that's right there's a lot of information that you would have to know verbatim like have you ever seen like ben shapiro talk like when people throw like their idea at him and he goes well here's the exact statistics on that yeah like bam here they are i know them off the top of my head yeah and that's the sort of argument you need like the, if you're going to turn is, a crowd it. you have to you have to present them with yeah, fact, especially the when people are crying and they're getting emotional yeah. and they're accusing you of lighting dogs up and yeah. burning so, their necks and so that's the type of person you need but then you also need the skill level to be able to go and here's my dog mm. and here is all these things like here's my dog prepped in this system like and i can show you and then here's your random dog that you give me out of that shelter and let me apply the my knowledge to that so it's a it's a special person but that person exists we we just have to train that person mm. and whether and if you want to see a picture of that like it, well pat's talking about that type of dog if you want to see a dog working in that and i know we've talked about this multiple times but watch barton thor yeah exactly yeah watch that video if you can, if you can pick a moment where that dog is not enjoying himself and having a great time with his with his training partner, yeah, you know, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and like I say, we can make this person. It, mm. This person exists. There's someone. Well, the facts exist. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the, It's not a hard argument because the facts actually exist around it. Well, and I think that the reason that we are losing and potentially will lose this battle is because we have right on our side, so we're lazy. Because yep. we go, no, we're, it's correct. Like that the doesn't science, cut anymore. No, I know, but that's is why yep. balanced trainers have, have been come complacent and are complacent because we're like, no, you can't ban it. It's we're correct, and what you're saying is nonsense. People are going to see through that, but yeah. they don't. That, we need a person to to fight it. We need to fight it. But that's not the only reason, though. The other reason is because people are fighting amongst each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over the most insignificant points. Yeah, and that, I mean the perfect example of that is when you want to go and do Mondio. Yeah. You know, I mean, that in itself, that shows how broken we are as a community when there's stupid movements. And that's one of many things. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to bring up that that's one of many things. There are so many things where people are screwing each other over in this industry. The balance trainers, I mean, I know that the other movements do it to each other as well. But I yeah, mean, no some, just some really shameful things that happen. For anything that I've done in the past that has screwed someone over, 
I apologize for because now shit's getting real and I don't want to have this happen anymore. And you and I were talking off air, you know, like when we're trying to make a change in Australia, when we're, this is not Europe, it's not America. We've got our own laws, we've got our own country, we've got our own sovereign. Everything that we do in this country, to a lot of degrees, we're on our own. So we have to stop comparing to what's happening in other countries because to a degree it influences us, but to a degree or to a larger degree it doesn't. So the people of this country have got to get behind the people who are actually trying to make these significant movements, stop standing in their way. The typical Australian tall poppy syndrome where we're cutting people down that are, are trying to get up. For things like this, for a common movement, we actually have to surround ourselves and support that person and lift them up and carry them yeah. through. Otherwise, just accept that it's gone. Yeah. Because it won't take long. Well, like I said to someone the other day, we're just going to be extinction by division. Mm. We just keep dividing and like dividing that. and That's, dividing until yeah. we'll become the voices become so small and irrelevant that they disappear. And that's that's how you basically kill a movement off, yeah. is that you just keep dividing it and yeah, pushing, exactly. the, pushing the sides against each other and working them against each other, yeah. which is part of that psychological movement. That's exactly what they want us to do. And I know I've said this, and I'll say this again and probably again and again and again, Benjamin Franklin, hang together or be hung separately. That quote was said to the people who wrote the American Constitution about the Americas, about the people within the country, hang together or be hung separately. And that, that's what happens. If you don't stand as one large voice, no one cares about the small squeaky wheel. Mm. But when you've got a, a voice, when you've got an itch that can't be ignored anymore, you force them to deal with you. You force them into a point of negotiation. And that's what we want. If we don't want it all our way, what we want is negotiation. We want the right to be heard. We want the right for a real scientific argument to be put forward instead of pseudoscience and constant emotional bickering. People getting on camera and crying and and telling interesting but fabled stories, that's not reasonable. Mm, I agree. Mm. So that is probably that probably ticks that off. That's that very solemn. You can talk about that for ages. We could and we could there's weeks in it. But there's more to do on that. Now that we've discussed this, before we do move on to the next bit, now that we've discussed it, what now, folks? We've discussed yeah. it. We've put this on air. The question's been asked. Thanks, Juliet. The question's been asked. Now what? Where do we go from here, folks? Because Pat and I aren't the brains trust in this deal. Yeah, we're just two dickheads with a microphone. <laughs> That's right. We're happy to be spokespeople for people. We're happy to be part of the revolution. But in order for that to kick off, in order for that to gain legs, this needs momentum. We need sound people, and I mean sound people, not people who want to get up and scream and yell and jump up and down. That's not going to win this argument. Nobody wants an hysterical spokesperson, and nobody wants angry people shouting and kicking blame and stuff like that. Even I've had to curb myself from doing things like that in the past, where I've gotten angry and I've gotten emotional over it. doesn't win you any favour. People just look at you and go, that's what I wanted from you. Yeah. I wanted to make you upset and I did it and now you look foolish. Yeah. We just don't need that. So let's go, guys. The fire's been lit. I know this is a sexist thing to say, but I do want to reiterate, I think that you have to fight fire with fire and I, the person to be that champion really should be, and I know this is going to upset people, but a good looking girl. That's the truth because that's what the media will want to put on TV and it's harder to portray you as a thug when you're a good-looking girl. That's mm. that's such a shit position, but I really do think that it's true. Triggered. Yeah. It's just the truth. It is the truth. It's a hard truth, but yeah. it's the reality. 
And yeah. it's not a, it's not your and my truth. It's the truth of no, that's right. Because like I can of think of people off, for. I can think about people off the top of my head that are ready to do this job, chafing at the bit to do it, mm-hmm. but they're not the image. They don't have the right image that is going to win this argument. And that's part of it. We like this is trial by media, and the media ha- are going to they need to not be able to dig and find problems, and they need to not be able to portray you as a thug. Mm. And you, I, too easy to do those sorts of things. Well, that's why I do radio and not live TV. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But true, like, anyway, I don't want to harp on it, but I am harping on it. I do want to harp on it. That's a shit position, and I I don't apologize for saying it. I do apologize for the world being that way, but that's, again, not my fault. But it's not something you and I orchestrated. No. As you said, there are people out there who are more than suitable to do this, and they really should be the person. Yeah, and same thing, I can think of dozens of people who would jump in this chair right away. Yeah, 100%. But anyway, they're, they're not- They're probably not the best person to do it. Well, some of them not. Yeah. Okay, so there's a bunch of stuff under that question that we can go on. Okay, Paul Doyle then says, how can dog sport clubs work together and open up more trials? Well, stop fucking banning people would be the first thing. I can't speak for cultures outside of Australia. I don't know them particularly well. But it is become ridiculous in Australia that people, if you're in one club, you can't be in another. If you participate in one sport, you can't participate in another. That really has led to as division. It is. It's again. It's division. It's elitism. It'll be extinction by division once again. I'm sure Paul's being a smartass in writing that, but it does trigger the, the the question. There's no doubt he is. Yeah, but he's right. Look, I'm glad someone asked the question. We had a we had a bit of a dig about it a while ago because. You were pretty upset the fact that you were preparing for a trial and then at the last minute got told, oh, sorry, Pat, there's no homers allowed. Yeah. And then when you said, well, there's one homer in the treehouse, they go, no homers. Yeah. We've already got one. That's actually the perfect analogy. Uh, analogy. That's mm. literally exactly what happened. That's pretty much what happened. Except yeah. there were two homers in the club because there was another, there was a German shepherd with no um, paperwork that mm. was allowed to compete. Which is just bizarre. That's one and again, it was one shitty thing in history that's happened to yeah. to people. The figureheads bragging that they're keeping the riffraff out and stuff like that. I mean, that and that's the thing that probably needs to change as well. You need figureheads in organisations that are looking to be global. You know, mm. they're globally minded. They're not secular. Yeah, they're not saying, "Well, this is mine, and I'm controlling this, and I'm having people. I'm not singling anyone out." So, if anyone's listening to this, trying to be triggered, I'm not picking on one person. I'm saying this is a general thing. And this is things that I've been involved in in the past where I've stopped people from getting in as well. Yeah. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be clear about that. I'm no saint. I've been with those people and I've been part of that group and I won't do it again. Yeah. I won't do it again. If you're gonna grow up, if you're gonna get smart in your older age, those are the things that you have to realize they're wrong. You have to understand they're wrong. I understand they're wrong. I don't want to be that type of person anymore. And I, I don't want to be a part of those people anymore. I believe that there should be a standard of people that should be representing. I believe that there should be a standard of people that are in the club. I've got no issue with that. That's fine. You can have that in your constitution, your rules and your agreement, but it's got to be fair. Mm. It's got to be fair. If, if you're saying that this is the standard and then you're letting other people break that standard well then you've you're really making a rod for your own back yeah i don't know whether we should bother explaining all the different breakdowns of who and why you can compete in the various associations in australia that would take a long time don't you think well working german shepherd dog Mm. club 
won't accept an individual who is a member of any other bite sport club, even if they intend to compete with different dogs in different events. So for example, if you have a Malinois and you're competing with Working Malinois Association in Mondiering, Working German Shepherd Club will not let you join if you have a German Shepherd you intend to do IPO with. Schutzen Australia will not let you join or participate in their trials if you have your dog that has ever worked on a suit. So as the individual is probably welcome, but if your dog has ever worked on a suit, then it is not allowed to do IPO with them. Working Malinois Australia will not let me in. I don't know why. They're the three associations in Australia. Mm. There's a fourth PSA that lets everybody in. Anybody can come. Yep. That's kind of bizarre, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. I don't understand it. And this is this division. And, and I've look, I'm going to say on this show, because I've had this discussion with you multiple times, where there's people, individuals that we don't personally like as people. And I've said to you, I've asked you this question, what if they have a suitable dog and they turn up to the field and they want to train their dog? And your response is? They're allowed to come on. Yep. They, they can do whatever they want. They, yep. I don't know, like, I don't have to train with people. We don't have to go for a beer afterwards. Yep. But they're but allowed on the field. still let them trial. Fuck no. They're yep. allowed on the field. Mm. They're allowed to come out there and make a fool of themselves. They're allowed to- Or not. Or not. Or, or smash not. me. Or yeah. fucking kill it. Mm. Either way. Yeah. So the thing I don't understand about- this is such a ranty episode. I don't know if we should leave this in. But the thing I don't understand about all these bite sports is when people want to keep other people out and say, oh, he's shit. We can't be trusting this. If you say that someone has an advantage over you in the bite sport, you are calling into disrespute mm. the the decoys on the field. You're calling out the integrity of the decoys and or the judge because all these sports have rules that are written down and we all just perform within the rules. Now, you could be the biggest turd in the world, but on the field – you perform within the rules or you get disqualified or you fail or you do well, whatever, right? The rules are written. The decoys, if they're licensed and are decoys helpers, whatever, if they're licensed and allowed to be on the field, they should be acting the same way for every dog no matter what. They shouldn't be showing any any favoritism to anybody's dog over another. And if they were to, that would be obvious. People would notice that. Mm. And the judges are meant to have the integrity to judge by the dog that they see before them, not the dog that they know how it trains, not the dog that they know what they're capable of or, or the dog that they have chosen to win because of the pedigree it has. It doesn't matter. The rules are written down. So I don't understand why anybody should be blocked. If I'm to be totally, truthfully, 100% honest, should Australia's ban on suit dogs in IPO. Do you think that's a safety issue? Yeah, I get it. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Like if they want to do that, like I don't believe that that's the case, but certainly say in say in the, the level two fended in PSA could potentially be an IPO sleeve. So the dog sees an IPO sleeve and has to ignore it and bite the man. So fair enough. If you want to ban because of the, on those grounds, okay, like that's your, your prerogative. Mm. No problem. I, I, but I, I think it should be clearly explained. Yeah. I think it, I, I think people are owed an, a good explanation for it. Yeah. Like if they want to stop it, they should say, okay, on the merit of this being a potential risk, this is why we have a club stance against it rather yeah. than just, no, you can't do it. But then like if you want to do a BH, like you should be Should be able, able to do a BH. It. Yeah. So, so, and the reason that this all pisses me off is because I want to do some, I wanted with my dog to do some kind of social as social test, be it a BH or a Mondio Matt or whatever, just so the that- PDC. It, no, but it doesn't, it, there's no requirement for a dog to be social in that. There's no, this is the thing in PSA, there is no requirement anywhere for a dog to be social. Yeah. 
And I want to just, for my own dog, I just want to get that on him. Yep. And there's not an organization in Australia that will allow me to but do surely, that. But surely, Pat, you're just being a smart ass. <laughs> this is the thing. There's not an organization <laughs> that will allow me to do that. Yep. And I'm, I'm almost positive this is a, a plan by those organizations to then say, oh, those, like, those PSA dogs are dangerous. And I have no way of proving otherwise. Because I know you, I know that what you're doing comes from a good place. But- the suspicion and other people won't believe that. Yeah. And that speaks more about them than it does about you. Because I know that you just want to do this because you love dog sport, you love training, you love time with your dog. Like, I mean, you've told people on this show before and you've told me multiple amounts of times that apart from your family, you just want to spend every waking moment training your dog, doing as much as you can, learning as much as you can. Since you left the army, it's given you purpose. It's activated your drive. As Bart talks about, you know, you've got ignition in this and it's something that you want to see through. And you, you're a very purpose-driven sort of guy. Like I know, and again, to repeat myself, I know that it comes from a very good place. But when other people look at it, they, for some reason, they obviously see you as a threat. There's and I don't, I don't know what the threat is. Anybody who wants to dispute this is welcome to come on the show and talk to us about it. Like yeah, if I'd love a, to. If there's a real reason that you think that, it's unsafe to combine the sports or at least allow people in to do the elementary level, the socialization tests that you have as gateways in there, where you can write it into your constitution to say you're welcome to come and do the, the socialization component, but nothing else. Yeah. So you can progress to there, but because you're a suit trained dog or something like that, you can't proceed past the initial socialization test. That's yeah. it. I want to move on from it. I don't want to harp on it, but it does. I do generally get really upset by it. And like I say, even if I was to to do some IPO with my dog, he can distinguish between person wearing a suit, wearing a sleeve. But also, I am a trial decoy. I wouldn't put someone else in danger. If I thought, no, my dog is going to bite the mm. man and not the equipment, then I wouldn't do it. And like, I, I don't know too many people in the sport that I don't know anyone that would go out there to do that because like I say, and we've said it here before, there just aren't that many people who are first capable and second willing to give up their time for free and go on the field and catch other people's dogs. Yeah. So like you got to look after those people. I'm always, I, I'm very vocal about looking after decoys and never hurting them where possible. Why would, um, why would you? Exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Why, would, why would you look after anybody who's going to develop your dog or, or help the judging of your dog to succeed in the trial? Exactly. The other thing too, to, to before we move on from this, is the issue that you're raising here, like this warring tribal issue that's going on currently, is a catalyst for question one, Juliet's original question. It's the same sort of thing. It yeah. leads into the reason why we have the problem because we've got so many little groups of people, 20 or less, that won't talk to each other, won't cooperate with each other, which is the reason it's easy to move in on. If you guys can't see that, if you don't understand the concept behind that, if you're not looking at that, if you've never even given it any critical thought, I, I really question your intelligence, you know, because you have to actually have a look at that as a the holistic side of that argument. You have to look at that and saying, holy shit, you know, while we are bickering and fighting amongst the semantics of who can come in a trial... We're also alienating ourselves from relationships and friendships with people who might stand up for me and go toe-to-toe with me in a fight to prevent me from actually being able to, A, use the equipment that I see as suitable and needed in training dogs and also being able to maintain and do these sports. Yeah, allow my dog to express himself in the way he was born to do. because there'll be a stage, I'm sure, that club trials will come under fire 
and nobody will give a fuck about a, a group of 20 people yeah. when they just want to roll over the top of you and say, that's enough. Yeah. We're sick of your dog sport and you can go away now. And nobody will care. There won't be anybody that will come to your aid because you've alienated yourself from every single person that would possibly come over and say, I want to help you. I want to support you. We're brothers in arms and sisters in arms, whatever. We're all here. We're all family. Let, let's fight to the bitter end. Yeah, exactly. But not as a group of 20, of as a group of 20,000. Yeah. So we've gotten all preachy and borderline upset about it all. But to answer your question, Paul, it says, how can dog sport clubs work together and open up more trials? Well, they can do it by stopping fucking each other over. And I'll reiterate... I'm the assistant director for the international region in Australia of PSA in Australia, where everybody is welcome. And PSA, like all these other sports, they're not, PSA aren't the only geniuses. The sports are designed so that if your dog isn't suitable and you're just some dickhead who hasn't trained and just turns up, we'll find that out in the first few minutes and it's safe because the dog's on lead at that point. There's like, there's no way that it's not dangerous to just let people turn up to trial because then they're, they're not prepped and they're not someone special that you trained with. If you just because you haven't seen them train doesn't mean they can't have a go at trialing because you'll find that out and they'll be DQ'd before the point it gets to the point where the dog comes off leash and we find that out. Mm. Right. Mm. So it's it, all these sports are designed like that. They're designed to be able to be done in by people you don't know. You, I don't know you. I don't trust your dog. I don't know what's going on. Well, if it turns out your dog, you don't have control of your dog before it gets to come off lead and becomes dangerous. You'll be decued. You won't pass. And we don't have to be best friends, guys. We don't have to hang no. out with each other and have beers and barbecues. We can come and talk. I mean, there's plenty of people who've come to seminars here or I've been to seminars in their location. We're not besties in any way, shape or form, but they tolerate me and I tolerate them. That's how it should be. Yeah, it's that, that's right. It's know, in everyone's best interest. Yeah, drop your guard. Stop being so difficult and let's uh, let's cooperate with each other a little bit better. Yeah. All right. <sighs> Moving on. Yeah, Tracy Fisher. Oh, God. I understand the RSPCA is considering working towards a ban of e-collars in all Australian states. I'd really enjoy a discussion on its correct use and appropriate behavior shaping applications. So here's the thing. We've tried to do an episode on how to properly use an e-collar, and it can't be done via a podcast. It's not the way to learn that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's we, a practical thing, really. Yeah, that's right. You need yeah. someone to teach you how to do that. Tracy, I don't know where you are. Get enough people together, organized to bring someone I'm happy to do it. I, I'm teaching people these things uh, around the country. We can't do it in New South Wales, but we can do it in another state. Mm. Get enough people together, put on a, a weekend seminar. And the best way to do that, what I feel, is I can put on something like that and bring my own equipment because this is, I know how to use that equipment the best and that can be built into the cost and you get the equipment. I only use Martin System stuff when I'm teaching this, so you end up with that from it. But that's the way to do it. You, you can't learn this over a podcast. I'm very sorry. I wish you could, but you can't. Yeah. A good point on that, that point alone. There was a lady on a forum years ago who was asking me about correction chains. And I said to her, I don't feel comfortable giving you the explanation because you'll go away. You'll try. What it will be is an interpretation of what I've said. You'll interpret what I've said on your dog. If it fails, you'll come back and say, well, it doesn't work. And therefore, you'll call me out online. And I said, but what I am happy to do is I'm happy to meet with you in person, gratis, no charge. And uh, this person was in the same state as I was. And she said, why won't you tell me? And I said, I will in person, physically, I will show you, I will, I will bring a dog or you can bring a dog and we can go through the pros and cons of it, but I can show you a technique that's going to work well. 
And she kept saying to me, but why won't you tell me? What have you got to hide? There is nothing to hide. It is a certain things, you can explain them. Certain things actually need explanation and practical demonstration. And in one of those things, I support that 100%. I think that the best thing to do is show it working on the dog, show it in an application where it's visible. People can take away the proper interpretation rather than, because they can go away and say, well, you're a, a reseller of that, so it's in your best interest to do so. But they can't deny what they're actually physically seeing, what's mm-hmm. present at the time. If it's there, if the skill is being presented, you can't deny it. Yep. A good picture speaks a thousand words. Yep. Jessica Torrance says, a discussion on using prey drive as a motivator and reward basis for training scenarios such as tactical response dogs and search and rescue dogs versus using appetitive reinforcers. How do we find our dog's mojo? How do we best tap into their inner prey drive? How could you not call a predatory motivator an appetitive reinforcer anyway? Yeah, I think all you need to remember, Jessica, along these lines is that if your dog finds it reinforcing- It's reinforcing. It's reinforcing. So yeah. use whatever your dog wants mm. as a reward. Yeah, that's one of the key sentences that we always teach with NDTF is use what works. And I know Pat was going to ask me that question before was Esther's quote, it doesn't matter what you think and feel, it's what the dog thinks and feels. Yeah, That's Esther Schalk's famous quote that she just briefed over one time when we were talking here when she was doing her seminar. And it's one of the things that like it stuck on me like incessantly when we were thinking about it because when you think about it, when you think about that whole concept of use what works and it's not what you think and feel, it's what the dog thinks and feels it's important. That whole concept is is that people clearly ignore what's reinforcing to the dog and that can change quite rapidly. For example, Esther and Hans, they use a female in season for, for their males and when people complain in environments where they say, oh, I don't want a, a female in season anywhere near the training field with my dog's there because it's going to ruin the dog, what they do is they say, well, no, we train our dogs to be rewarded that when they do do a high level of, re- of behavior and there is a female in season, after they've done the work for us, we'll let the dog go and smell where the female's been as reward because that's what the dog wants mm. at the time. And things like that aren't always incredibly practical but if you've got a dog that wants to drink water what you can say to the dog is hey mate do some work for me once you show me a high level of work i'm gonna let you drink the water fine you can have it straight away you can have whatever you want whatever you want whatever's practical whatever i can viably offer you but you've just got to give me the behavior first yeah just don't ignore those type of things pay close attention to it and also what i would add to that is pay attention to the state of mind that your dog's in at the moment if your dog comes out and it's as flat as attack, and again, we spoke about this from last week's episode with Bart when he talks about the the water boiling. If your dog comes out and the water's not boiling and it's not going to boil, put your dog away. Yeah. You know, don't do a training session with a dog that's flat because you're teaching the dog at the same time. I think the only thing I want to add to that is what you're talking about working dogs here. And I think that if you're training a dog for work, choose the right breed and try and have the work be reinforcing. Like people have spent centuries breeding dogs 
to have purposes. Mm. And something that drives me crazy is when I see people trying to get an off-breed to do the wrong work. And yeah, you can train it, you can do it. But if it's really someone's life's going to depend on that, just get the right dog. Don't spend a lot of time trying to find a reinforcer. Like you use the example of search and rescue, right? Like if you have a dog that doesn't like to search, doesn't enjoy sniffing, then you're in the wrong job. Now, if you just have a dog and you decide you want to get into that for some fun, cool. But if someone's life is going to depend on your dog's ability to find it, get a dog that likes to do that job. Uh, I've used the example before when people talk about using Malinois for um, for uh, conservation detection, finding small animals and that. Now, you can train one to do one for sure, but they'll be working for a reinforcer. Uh, my Springer will find animals all day for free without payment, whether she finds one or not, because that act of doing that is reinforcing. reinforcing yeah. So, so think about that. It's something that really, you know, what grinds my gears is when people want to get an off-breed dog because they feel like they've got something to prove. Like you're just making it harder on yourself and probably putting the dog through difficulty that it doesn't need. Well, you ever you ever look at at human sports, like the Olympics for argument's sake. I mean, that's a selection criteria of thousands and thousands of people that, you know, like in their own countries, in their own area, in their own city, there's hundreds of people in there and then there's hundreds of people behind that that they start going in like a K2 round where it's then it's a knockoff. Like it's the hungriest man or hungriest woman on the planet that is finally getting to a situation like they're the best of the best and then they finally get them to the point. And, I mean, if you're working in high-level areas, anything, like Pat said, detection, law enforcement, sport or anything, you really want to be looking at that type of dog for it if you want to compete at a high level and be reasonably successful. Yeah. If you just want to have a go, if you're just interested to see how it's working out, then no harm, no foul. Yeah. But if if you're thinking to yourself, look, I want to get somewhere with this dog – then again, you've got to have that dog that comes out and wants to work. Yeah. That's pushing you and saying, I'm ready to work, I'm ready to work, I'm ready to work, I'm ready to work. Not a dog that's saying, okay, inspire me. Yeah. Mm. Well, and so just on that as well, so people soft sometimes say, oh, I'm a Malinois guy. I don't know if we've talked about here. Like, I'm, you've got to speak in Spaniel. Yeah, and I'm not. If I was, if I could have any breed of dog, I love pities. I, I fucking love pit bulls. But the chances of me getting a pit bull – that would work the way that I want to work a dog is one in a million. They exist. I've seen them, right? Mm. But then- and, and then you'd be accused of, of supporting fighting dogs or yeah. something stupid like that. <laughs> Probably. But even leave stupid. all that out, right? Yeah. The thing, the chances, this is why I have Malinois because the type of work that I want to do, the sport I want to compete in, there's still a huge failure rate for even Malinois. It's not like they just come ready, right? People mm. have that in their, in their head that like, oh, they just know how to heal. They just know how to do all this stuff. No, no they come with inherent desires to do those, to do the things that I'm going to Here's the argument. With. They are a better dog because they've been less fucked with than most breeds have. Sure. Um, and I know this is going to upset people, but because no one cares about the confirmation of males and the, the show people aren't winning ribbons and trophies off them, they aren't purposely destroying their yeah. their character. And I, I know that triggers people. I've had this argument with people. But when push comes to shove, nobody in a confirmation, well, that's not fair. That's not true. There are people who do care and, and who do try and maintain a a behavioural expectation of the breed, what it was bred for. But yeah. they're, they're far and few between. Like they're unicorns now um, compared to what they used to be. Where the yeah. male is completely different to that. But getting back to your point, this is like saying to someone, you can just stick steroids in your arm and you're instantly muscly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without thinking, dude, 
these people still like strain in the gym, lifting enormous weights, yeah, eating like ridiculous diets and training for four hours a day, yeah, and that's why the the steroids definitely help. You know, like they definitely make you bigger and they make you stronger and so forth, but. And you still have to do the work yeah. to get the muscles on your body. And it's the same thing with the dog. You have to have someone who's committed and partially crazy as well because this is another life that you have to have on top of your life. Yeah. But a so layered life. Take, uh, just say PSA, for example, that we know well, but put in there any game, sport, job, activity, whatever. For every Malinois that makes it through, there's thousands that don't. Mm. And then for every shepherd that makes it through, there's maybe 10,000 that don't. Yeah. And for every Rottweiler that makes it through, there's probably 100,000 that don't. And for every pit bull that makes it through, there's probably a million that don't. So you've got to decide, what do I want my chances of success to be? And mm. that's, for me, that's why I have that breed. It, like, I love pitties, but I just know that it's unlikely, especially here in Australia, for me to get put my hands on one that will be suitable yep. for what I want to do. All right, moving on. Can we talk about the boxes as well? No. <laughs> Jay Jack says, talk about how and why you use different terminal markers, direct food, indirect food, direct toys, indirect toy, and the difference between a release word to an indirect toy reward and a bite command. Been considering changing my, word, my work on the spring pole wall climb. Would you use a release to an indirect reward object or a bite cue? Right now, I use a general terminal marker. Okay. And if I present the award, it is obviously direct. If they are already queued in an indirect reward, they're released. They'll obviously go for that. And when I'm running them between direct and indirect, I have a send away gesture that I do with the release to tell them it's the indirect option. I'm fighting between my battling urges of simplicity and clarity. So that's a good one. And I can tell a little story on this. I think I did tell it to Jay when he was here. So you remember at Mike, first time Mike Suttle was here and we were playing around with Val doing bite work and Brad was actually working her. And she was in a down and I went to release her to the bite and I clicked because at the time I was just using, just to click as a terminal marker, take your reward, right? Yep. Whether it was a toy, food, direct, indirect, I was really in that one marker model with her at that mm. time. And I clicked and she just fucked off. She just ran chasing a bird. Yep. Right? Because that's what she wanted at the yeah, time. Yeah, that's what she wanted to do. Everybody mm. everybody laughed their asses off. And it was funny because, first of all, why were we trying to do bite work with a springer? But that's how she understood it. Yeah. She was totally within her rights to do that. Yep. She took the highest value reward she could find. Mm. Uh, and I gave her no further information on what it was. And mm, that, mm, for mm. me, I went – I think it's, that was actually on video. It might be somewhere. For me – that was the day where I went, okay, this is not enough information. I'm not giving the dog enough information. So one thing I want to clarify on what Jay said there is direct versus indirect reward. My definition, how I use it of that, I had got from Bart, and it's a little bit different from how I've seen other people use it. A direct reward could come from me. An indirect reward could come from me. It's not necessarily where it comes from. It's the dog's focus. And so- One is really, seen, one is not seen. Yeah. So mm. we really go for more of an idea of an away reward or a, or a from reward. That's mm. either away from you or from you. Now, because it becomes tricky, say, here's an example. My dog's healing. If he's looking at the decoy, that's a direct reward. If he's looking at me, then the decoy is an indirect reward. If- if in trying, if in using the lure or using the reward, I trick the dog or compel the dog into the behavior, then that's a direct reward. If the act of trying to get it brings on the behavior, that's a direct reward. 
if the dog has to find the behavior in order to get the reward, then that's an indirect reward. Whether I give it to the dog, whether it comes from me, whatever. So I don't have different markers for direct versus indirect. I do have different markers for away and, and from. This is just what I do, and I've had pretty good success in it, and I like it very much, is I have a – the clicker is food. With a puppy, I'm um, very lucky. The puppy I got now, um, Sam oh, – sorry, the dog I have now, but as a puppy, Sam had been clicking since he was four weeks old, so the clicker came charged. Perfect. So the clicker means food and only food to him. Carrying a clicker is not ideal. If I'm teaching my dog something new, I use the clicker. Because of how accurate it is, I can't get more accurate with a verbal marker or anything else. Mm. But I also then load in front of the clicker a clicking noise I make with my mouth like that. Yep. And so he understands that as well. But I can't be as precise. It's got the same value as a clicker, but I can't be as precise. Mm. So if I'm teaching something new, I use a clicker. For general work, I, I use that noise. Uh, and that's always food, always food. Uh, then I have a, a word for a toy reward. And that toy reward is something that I'm carrying. Now that doesn't, it may be direct, it may be indirect. I may even throw that thing. It might be the Frisbee and I'm going to throw it. They can figure all that out. But I go, and that means it's the toy, take the toy. And then I have an, an away reward for when I want the dog to, well, this is something that will become my bite command. And so I say, Stellan, even when it's food, right? And I use, I start that with the manners minder. Uh, so I have that on the ground. It, it has its own tone and I paired to that my bite command. So even if it's the ball on the ground, I tell my dog Stellan and he goes, that's his bite command. He goes and gets the thing that's away. And that's the three markers I use. And that I've, I'm having success doing that. And I, I reprogram Val into the same system. That was pretty easy to do. And it's good because I can distinguish. And, and I think that if you're going to reward your dog, say in PSA where we're around a decoy, and you expect decoy neutrality. I expect my dog to take the ball and have a good time and find the ball rewarding in the presence of a decoy. You've mm. got to have different markers for that or you're going to be in trouble. It doesn't matter what you say to the dog. What does matter entirely is what the dog understands from that communication, from that language. Yeah. I mean, you can use any language in the world that you want to use. You can use gibberish. You can speak Klingon to the dog if you want to. But what does matter is the clarity of how the dog interprets what you've said. Yeah. If you are confusing in your message to the dog in any markers that you're using, whether it be direct or indirect, if the dog doesn't understand, if you can see that there's confusion there, of course that matters. And that, I think that's one of the things that we discuss in great detail in all NDTF courses that we do. In fact, in, in most education systems that I've been in when we're talking about learning theory, one of the primary points that we discuss is you must have complete clarity for the sake of the dog. If you're confused about what you're saying, like if, if you come out there and you're thinking, what does my clicker mean? What does it mean when I say yes? What does it mean when I say good? If you're confused by that, it's going to be total fucking chaos for the dog. So the only thing that I encourage people to do is have a goal, have a game plan that's designed to clearly indicate to the dog is this a Pavlovian effect? Do I want you to feel something about this cue or is it operant? Do I want you to actually understand there are consequences for compliance or non-compliance of this cue? That needs to be established quickly. If that's not, it's like I said, it's a complete fuck up for the dog. Mm. It's language, guys. I mean, main thing is, is that we find a good Rosetta Stone that the dog is clear about everything once we're on the field. There's yeah. no mistaking what's happening. If it's a bite command, it should be a bite command. If it's a focus command, it should be a focus command. 
if the dog is supposed to feel something about it, the dog should should feel something about it. That's my view on it. Yeah. I guess the last thing I'd say on having different markers for different rewards is it allows you to transition between those things without any conflict. So mm. if they're really uh, if they're really conditioned and on a reflex response, i.e. my dog takes food after the click yep. as a conditioned reflex response. He he doesn't choose to do it. It happens whether he, he wants to or not. He has a true Pavlovian effect to it. Yeah. So then I can get him to out off of things with no conflict. I don't mm. have to yell at him. I don't have to cause any, I don't have to cause any discomfort. He He's not even cognitively deciding to out. He just finds that he did. Mm. And that we made a video on that. And I, I made a video of him very young with the ball in his mouth to prove that he's on the mill with the ball. I try to give him food. He won't take it. I put the food in his nostril. He, he ignores it. I actually put it in his mouth behind the ball, just ignores it. And then I click and he spits the ball and takes the food. So it's the case of like, how else would I get the, that ball off the dog with zero conflict? That, mm. that, that my food didn't have the same value as the ball. The ball's higher value. He would choose it, but I can immediately give it to him. And I don't have to bring out another ball and try and weigh him up and cause chewing issues then. So all those things, especially as Jay says, using it on the spring pole, if his dog is loaded on the for a clicker for food and you're teaching your out off the spring pole, you can have your bite to go get the spring pole and then you can click and out them from the spring pole. They come back for you and then there's no conflict in there at all. It's just the dog's like happily doing things that – it, it's reflex response to do. And that's the goal in all of our training. I know Jay knows this, but in all of our training, our goal is to get our commands as a reflex response. So the dog, if you were to ask the dog to, to steal Boyd Hooper's saying, as you, you told interview me, the dog. if you were to interview the dog, mm, why did you, why did you let go of the spring pole? The dog would be like, I don't know. Couldn't help it. It just happened. Yeah. That's, that's the goal. I, and- I agree. I think since, from the very early days, we used to teach outs and it was a very conflicted behavior. You know, it was out under load. Yeah. You're being punished for not letting go. And the dog is in a very- You're feel- adding to avoid punishment. That's right. You're yeah. adding to avoid punishment. But the dog is in a very feel-good state while it's biting, while it's in the sleeve. Yeah. And it's thinking to itself, well, I really don't want to. You know, I mean, it's it, there's a couple of thoughts that are most likely going through the dog's head at that point in time is, A, I'm really enjoying this. And B, what what happens if I do let go? And if the dog doesn't understand that, then the dog is, is in conflict straight away. Yeah. So that's why you start getting shifting in your grip and the dog starts shifting and moving around or it starts delaying in the time that it, it starts letting go. The best way that I've seen is that reflexive out. When the dog can't help it, it's a Pavlovian effect that you hit the clicker and the dog goes, oh, I've got to go and do something else. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I tr- I love it. I think it's the the best way going forward for dogs to learn. Yeah. And you did it in a demo that you did with Remy when you were doing, I think, Tammy and Sharonica yeah, put up challenge those challenges. Thing, yeah. yeah. And Remy was biting Jazz at the time. Yeah. And you clicked and he just came straight off and took a handful of food. Yeah. And I guess the most important thing about that is like people say, oh, it's not a real dog if it'll out for food. It, the point is he's not choosing anything. He just finds like, oh, I heard the click and I have That's to just one of those statements. That's a John O statement. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not a that that's but, not even relevant. But that. you see it and people will will say that kind of thing. And it's it the point is the dog is not outing for food. It's that you've used you've used that marker to condition that response. And I think having different markers for different rewards, I feel is important so that you you really are on a variable reward schedule. Like they understand you, the value. Yeah. Mm. And I think 
markers have to be markers. This is why I stopped using a yes and I get away from verbal markers as much as possible is I think where a lot of people go wrong, and I've seen some very good dog trainers do this and, and boast that they do it, is that they will announce the value of the reward with how they say the yes. Mm. Now, if you're doing that- That's true. They pitch it differently. Yeah. Mm. And it doesn't have the salience of a clicker or a whistle where it's the same. It, it's That's right. It's uniform in the way it's delivered. Yeah. Now, mm. yes, at that time, you will be communicating to the dog that you are happier then than you were on the last one. Mm. And when that's a good rep- that's great. Where that becomes problematic is where it's a not so good rep and you just say like, yep, and now you get this. And so first of all, the, the first problem is that you never hit that reflex response because it's not conditioned. It's mm. not, if it has to be identical to be conditioned, if you're changing your pitch, you're conditioning it to the value, you're pre-announcing the value of the reward. Mm. And so now that won't work because if you're in this example, Jay's one where we're calling the dog off the spring pole, if you're using a yes now and you'll change the pitch and tone of your yes in accordance with the value of the amount of food you're going to deliver, your dog can determine that. So that means your delivery of your food will have a measure in units of reward. Mm. Now, that spring pole has a measure in units of reward. If Say if the units of reward go like to 10. Like people do. It's yeah. like people who say, I wouldn't get out of bed for anything less than 100 bucks an hour. That's right. So, yeah. so if that spring pole, if there's 10 units of reward possible- and your spring pole is nine and a half, your dog's only going to out without conflict for 10 units, mm. right? So if you have your yes where you go yes and the dog knows you're going to deliver three units of reward, yep. but you go yes and you're going to deliver 10 units why of reward. Why trade something? Yeah. Why trade down? You're going to have to use why that. trade down? That's right. You're mm. going to have to use that mm. yes, the 10 unit of reward one to get the dog off the pole. But here's the thing. You then have to deliver the 10 units of reward every time, which is impractical because that would be a hungry dog's whole meal. Mm. So, like, I mean, a starving dog's whole meal. So, it's impractical to use that. Now, the temptation as a person is to lie to the dog then, give that higher value one and then not deliver, give that like high value, yes, and then only deliver the three units of reward. And now the dog knows you're a liar and won't believe you next time. Mm. By using a mechanical marker or a consistent yes. It's a lucky dip. That's right. It's you a create mystery a, box. You create a gambler out of the mm. dog. The dog has to be a gambler for that marker. And this is something I like to, I, I spend a lot of time teaching this to my clients of how to get this truly how to turn the dog into a gambler. Through the variable schedule of reinforcement. Yeah. And you know your dog's a gambler when you put a hungry dog's whole bowl of food in front of him and while he's eating that food, you click and he gives up that food to come and get whatever you have, mm. whatever amount of food you're going to give him, you know he's a gambler because he will. that amount of food in his bowl is quantifiable. I can look and I can count how many kibbles are here, but when I hear that click, I have no idea how many you're going to give me. And the chances are it's going to be more than this. So it's worth investigating. The power of maybe. That's right. Yep. So if your dog can do that, then now that dog will 100% come back on the mm. clicker. Now, I want to do a whole episode on that. And, you know, this is something I spend a lot of time explaining to people. A lot of time when people come to me for training, I say, have you got a marker? I get, they go, yep. I go, cool. Put your dog in a down, come around into this blind and use your marker. And if the dog doesn't, jump up and come run around in the blind and say, all right, step one, we're loading the marker, mm. right? Because it's not loaded it's not sufficiently. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's that's that. I hope that makes sense. It's a very deep question from it's Jay. Question. But, I mean, 
I wouldn't expect anything less from Jay. I'm excited about seeing Jay. I am too. Look, I've got to say, just a breakaway. I drank the Kool Aid and I started BJJ. Oh yeah. Um, because of it's all you're fucking talking about. We're sitting here, I'm looking at your gi hanging. Yeah, I know it's hanging up right next to our training equipment. But yeah, because of people like Jay and Brent and Sweats and Sean and everything like that, mm-hmm. and um, Josh, mm-hmm. they were, everyone One who's been of here. Us. Yeah, One I am. I am. Us. I'm part of the part of, of the them. part of them now. I was watching him rolling around the floor when we were having beers here one night, and I thought, yeah, that looks actually something entirely different than anything I've ever done. But one thing I've got to say, what this was leading into was Jay's got a instructional series that he has online mm-hmm. called Functional BJJ. And I got chatting to him one night, just letting him know that I'd started. And he said, if you are interested, he said, I've done a video series. I've got to say, Jay is a brilliant instructor. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm super, super impressed with the the quality of the material that he's put out because of what I watched. I mean, it's improved my game straight away. Like I went to training and people were looking at me going, what the fuck, dude? Like you're like you started a week ago and you're already pulling off like stupid moves. Like where did this come from? And like before that, I just felt like flailing around on the mat, like thinking I'm just getting laid on top of and squashed by dudes that are half my age. Sounds like your dream day. (laughs) (laughs) But it was... um, it was frustrating because it just looked like you're laying there while people are breakdancing on top of you and yeah. you're thinking, what the fuck, you know, how do I get out of this? But after watching Jay, so Jay, legend, mate, I'm really, I know why people revere you and, and respect you so much in your craft. I've got Plug to say, it properly, what's the- Functional BJJ. Functional, if people Google yeah. that or and, that's and the And Jay's got uh, the academy over in Maine uh, in the US and if you're over there and you want to get into it, I'd hook up with Jay, I'd definitely speak to him. He's a- He's a very, very skilled martial artist. Yeah. And, uh, a, a and all around good guy. He is a really good guy. He's very intelligent. He thinks very deeply and he's very skilled in, in his thought processes. It's clear in his instruction. So have a look at it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there's more questions, but again, I'm out Keep of time. going. Keep going. Oh, I you got to go, go, do you? Yeah. Oh, I got to go get- So it's got to be round three. Well, maybe. Well, the next questions are Bertie wants Narelle back on the show. She's, Fats, she's, she's doing that. She's, yeah. she's actively- She's pursuing a topic at the moment, and she's also in the process of writing a book of nutritional feeding. So for for, for pet dogs, so she's um, she's well and truly into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's in, very inspired by all this. She's she just did a course. She blitzed it like she does with most things. She's a fucking smart girl. <laughs> yeah. Kim James discussion on health with regards to diet vaccinations, external and total parasites. So this is a this is a real thing. That's a, yeah. We can't. I can't talk anything about that. Judy Buchan, Bucken. Judy Bucken, Bucken. Yeah. Talking about Andrew Clark's episode and laws in regards to each state, and there's a fair bit about that. Which so what I wanted to say about this was, if there's anyone that is really fully across all of that, right? Like and across state to state, this is because the issue is with sort of almost half our audience now is international, right? Mm. Yeah, it's well. I was just saying to Pat before, in six months. Australia is well and truly ahead of uh, any other country at the moment, but probably in six months, the United States will probably roll over the top of Australia. We're picking up a massive audience there. How dare they? I know. (laughs) Not Um, like Canada is just like a blip. uh, (laughs) I'm only joking. No, it's great. Uh, Canada's all of a sudden, there's been a pickup in Canada too. So thanks, guys. Appreciate everyone. Look, everyone who's jumping on the show, like it's so appreciative, especially when we considered that, you know, there'd probably be like, 100 people in Australia listening to the show 
and we've got thousands of people listening to the show now and and uh, regular feedback. I know I've said it in many shows before, but I'd, I'd just like to extend our sincere thanks to people because this was just a fun thing that Pat and I were telling stories and somebody yeah. said, you know, you guys should do this professionally or in in some other way. Fun. Mm. The funny thing was I remember when we first started, we wanted to say, oh, we didn't have anything to do. We said, oh, we should put out see if there's any questions. And I said, we can't do that, man. We don't know if anyone's fucking listening. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what if we say, hey, anyone got any questions and no one writes anything? And there's because, just crickets chirping yeah. in the background. So you can't ask yeah. anything. Mm. No, nah, look, I, I do have to go, but there's a few ones here that we, so we can do this just another with, time. Just with Judy, before you do go, just with Judy Buchan. Judy, you are a, an extensive researcher in many things. Like Judy is one of these people who who would be very, very good as part of the Brains Trust for, for tools in training. I know she's done it in the past, especially with prong collars. Uh, Judy was leading the charge in the early 2000s in regards to that mm-hmm. and extensively pulled up a lot of factual information that people were overlooking in their plight to emotionally charge it and create triggers around it. Judy was, she had a, like a swag of information around that. So Judy, you're a great researcher, somebody that I actually look up to in that fact. So I think you would be a great candidate for coming to us with that information. I'd love to draw some information and and credit you for it because obviously I've got a lot of respect for you and your work. So if you do have the time and the inclination to do it, I would love to awesome. ha- either have you on the show or or credit you for it if you would prefer to do that. But um, yeah, you're certainly that person. If you have those studies, Judy, see, one of the things I think would be cool is in this discussion group is maybe we have a file section yeah, that'd and be have great. all those kind of things because you regularly see that around Facebook, people saying like, hey, I'm locked in a battle with someone who's got a link to this study on, you know, whatever in and so if if you have relevant ones, that might be a good place to store them in here so that everybody can get access to them really quick. Because if you're listening to the show, you're probably, you're probably uh, on our side yeah, of the argument. It, and even if you're not, if you're listening to this and you've got a counter argument to it, I'm not interested in your how you feel about it. Okay, I'm interested in the facts around it. Yeah. So I don't want to I don't want to have an argument that ends up in tears because somebody is saying, in my opinion, what I prefer if you've got a counter argument to it. And you've got real science, not just pseudoscience where people are saying, in in my opinion, or I don't like it in some sort of language. Present it. Put it forward. Come and speak to us about it. There's a vet that I'm planning to have on the show at some stage that wants to debunk the whole raw feeding issue. Oh, really? Yeah. And I'm encouraging him to come on the show. I spoke to him at at a conference I was at not long ago. And this is the first time Pat's hearing about yeah, it because I, I forgot about it until we just started talking about this. But I had extensive talks to him. He works for a pet food company. I put the question to him right away. I said, look, you're probably going to think this is a rude question, but you're obviously on the company payroll and you're paid to have a stance. And he said, well, no, I actually worked in abattoirs when I was doing my residency. He said, uh, I worked in abattoirs and I've been around it and I've extensively researched it. So... I have a different take on this. All right, cool. So I said, look, would you come on the show? And he said, yeah, I would like to. He said, I'll just find out if it's cool. And uh, at some stage, I'd like to have him on the show and have his thoughts on that because, I mean, it's not about creating controversy. It's about talking about the facts around things. Yeah. Not just why we think certain things, but what is the fact around it? And it's the same thing with tools and training. Like if you have facts against it, like genuine scientific facts, let's hear it. If you have facts for it, genuine scientific facts, 
let's hear them. Yeah. We've been numerous times people have asked us to organize some sort of debate between a force-free trainer on here. And we've tried, but it's just not possible for, for a couple of reasons. People are very welcome to come on and we can sit here for as long as we want. I'll clear the day and we can have an unedited, um, unedited except the fart noises and, and coughing that happens, but unedited discussion about it. But it just doesn't happen for because what happens is there's only really sane people who are, that we're willing to do that with. And the only answer that sane people usually have when they are strict, force-free only people just go, I just don't want to do that. And how can you argue that? It's, like, it's not my job to tell you what, what you, you can, can and can't, and can't do. do. Mm. So they just go, they're really the only true answer and it's totally a fine answer and there's I've got no problem with it. And these people just say, you know, for whatever reason, that's not how I want to train dogs. And who are we to tell them how they should? So there's no there's no debate to mm. be had. Not with a sane person anyway. But it, but in closing to that, let's make it let's make it crystal clear. So it is a caveat on what we've discussed, okay? None of us, and I've I've made this clear so many times. I've made it clear through many, many years of owning dogs and loving working with them and and dogs being like a very important part of my life, my work, my family. I didn't do this and the best dog trainers that I know in the industry and the great people that I've met along the time didn't do this and aren't using tools because we enjoy inflicting pain and want to see the dog suffer. It's because... I don't like seeing dogs being put down for no good reason. Yeah. And I know that debate's been circling around the internet and people say, yeah, but they say that. they That's their emotional blackmail and so on and so forth because that's basically the ammunition between both of our parties at this point in time is the amount of dogs that have been willfully disposed of and destroyed. It's They're being thrown away like old iPhones. Mm. You know, it's they get them. They just don't serve a practical purpose anymore and they're being thrown away. And some of the reasons are just... They're ridiculous. Mm. They're they're ridiculous. That's the only thing that I could probably say. They're just ridiculous reasons why dogs are being discarded. And a lot of times it's over the way the dog is behaving. Yeah. So people will vaccinate their dogs and spend money on their dogs and they'll do all these type of things. And I mean, vaccination is an unpleasant exercise and stressful for dogs too, but we do it for the greater good. You know, we do it to make sure we're saving our dogs' lives. And yet more dogs, like a million times more dogs will die from a social issue over they will over over a pathological issue. You know, they or not pathological, a is that what you, a pathogen issue. Hmm. So many more dogs will die from a pathogen a pathogen issue or a an issue where the dog is some sort of trauma has occurred. The figures are staggeringly stacked against dogs with social issues. This is a training issue and this is what we're discussing. This is why we're doing this podcast is because we're talking fundamentally about the training application, living with and socialising with dogs in our lifestyle. We need to do it better. We need to find a common ground where we can say, what would work with you? What would stop you feeling so aggravated about people owning tools? Would it be education? And some people will never agree on that no matter what. Where there's always an us and them, there's always a left and a right. As wise people say, both sides of the wing belong to the same body. So... There you go. I've never heard that one before. Haven't you? No, that's a good one. I like it. It is a good one. It's not mine. It's some wise person who came up with that. (laughs) It's important. There's left and right wing political stances is genetic trait. It's very important that we have both because we need people that- To keep us honest. Well, it's not so much to keep us honest. Right wing people are very good at managing things. Left wing people are very good at creating things, but not running them. So you need right wing people to be 
actually facilitating the day-to-day and left-wing people sort of creating those things, then moving on to the next thing and letting right-wing people run that. There's evidence to that. And it's they've done twin studies, so they know it's a genetic thing. Do you know what's funny about the discussion you're just having? It perfectly describes balance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing. It, mm. It's uh, necessary. Anything that's mm. genetic is necessary. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be gone. Mm. Anyway, that's it. Hey, that's it for another episode. It's a bit of a preachy one. Just keep in mind, as maybe we depressed you a couple of times, that's why we spoke about markers so much. We're just two dickheads with microphones, so don't take too seriously <laughs> anything we say. We yeah, could we be just wrong set the about, world on fire with this yeah, episode. We so. could be wrong about many things, and if we are, I apologize. Let me know. But that's that's the truth as well as I know it. We're not saying that we are the bastions of all knowledge or no, the gatekeepers in, of everything. We've, in the slightest. We never maintain that. What we're saying is that- uh, We've we got know, microphones. Yeah, we've got microphones, <laughs> and we- we know some things, but what we also know is what we learn from yeah. the community and, and what people, you know, like relevant science that people are putting forward. So, again, we invite people to, if there's something incorrect, like blatantly incorrect, present us with the right knowledge and we yeah. will happily put that on there. We will happily correct the statement and say, well, yeah. we were wrong in what we were said or we had inaccurate information at the time and we would like to correct that. So, we're not trying to set the world on fire in general. We're not trying to create enemies. Not we're actually trying to what we're actually trying to do is build and improve and grow the community. If that's not obvious by now, then please keep that in the forefront of your mind that we're trying to bring people together, not push them further apart. So this episode will probably come out prior to us or well, I leave tomorrow to go to the ISCP. I leave Thursday. By the time you're listening to this, I'm probably already in the States. We're going over there. We've been threatened with good times by numerous people. We Better can, deliver. We plan to get a load of interviews done. It might be a little while before an episode comes out, but rest assured we'll oh, be I recording. Plan to, I plan to do one while I'm over there. If, if I've got internet, I'm putting a show out. Oh, well, perfect. There mm. you go. Well, stand by. They're, they're coming, in, coming in hot. Yeah. But yeah, Wes, I'm really excited about going. Um, I'm not saying we won't be drunk. Um, <laughs> And partying up a good time. And partying up and... Uh, But yeah, and as I say, if you are going to be at the ISCP conference, it's my first time, please be gentle. Um, But also, uh, please come over and introduce yourself. I'd love... The whole reason I'm going is to meet as many industry professionals as I can. Yeah. So, um, please introduce yourself to me. All right, that's it. As always, if you like what you're hearing, please jump onto whatever subscription service you download us from. Like, rate, share, subscribe, tell a friend. All that helps us get the word out. If you want to support the show, you can do that by buying a t-shirt off of us. That is probably the best way. We sell the Canon Paradigm t-shirts with our cool slogan. Heighten your arousal and lose all impulse control. Thank you, Jeddah, who came up with that. That's on the front, logo on the back. And, and thanks to bucks. Jason Furman, our show sponsor. Uh, yeah, thanks again to Jason for sponsoring the show. Einswick. Einswick Dog Quip. And those shirts, we're going to have them at the ISCP conference. So if you want one, we've got hats as well. So if you want one there, I guess we'll come up with some kind of conversion to US dollars and, and, and sell them there if you want to help support the show. And if you want to get in touch with us, the best way to do that is on Facebook. We are The Canine Paradigm on Facebook. That's it. Music. Music.